Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us in this service. I think about all the people that are in their homes and you are watching online, and I am so grateful. We are averaging about 4,000 people that are watching online and a couple of thousand that are in person, and it is just amazing what God continues to do at Sugar Creek. So welcome everyone who is watching online, and for everybody in person, yay God for you, you're helping us to take the next step toward going back to normal, and normal is where I want to be. I thank the Lord for three campuses that are in person, our Richmond-Rosenberg campus, our Missouri City campus, and the Sugarland campus. And next Sunday, we take the next step. Next Sunday, we are beginning small groups. Uh, we are beginning uh, connect groups slash Sunday school groups for all ages. Now, we're still being very, very careful. We're still doing masks. We're still doing social distancing. And we are making sure everyone is safe. And we're even going overboard because we want to care for you and, and make sure you're okay. But we're starting the small groups next week. So if you have questions about that, talk to someone from your campus. Campus, maybe a minister or the campus pastor about your children, where they're meeting, the teenagers, and if your adult group is meeting on campus. Now, on the Sugarland campus, our students are going to be back at the Student Center. It's the first time since March, and they are so excited about doing that. And at the Sugarland campus, we're still only having two in-person services in English, the 8 o'clock and the 9.30. And I know there are some of you that really wish we were starting the 11 o'clock service and you're so disappointed, and I hate disappointing people, but the truth is we need more critical mass before we go to an in-person 11 o'clock service. So I hope that you'll understand. Hey, come back to the 9.30 and help us build that critical mass, and we would love it if you did it. Now, one other thing I want to mention, and that is Kathy and I have gotten our flu shots. And look, when winter gets here and the flu and still the COVID, it's going to be a, a dangerous time. And we got our flu shots. And if your body can handle a flu shot, I recommend you do it because it will only help you. In 1923, which is almost 100 years ago, 10 of the wealthiest people in the whole world met together at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago for a special summit with just these 10 men. It made history. It made all the papers, all of, uh, 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 all of the radio. Everybody was talking about it. Why? Because these 10 guys had so much money and so much political clout, they could actually control the economy of the United States of America. That's how powerful these 10 people were. The 10 people that gathered together were the president of the largest steel company in the world, the president of the National City Bank, the president of a powerful utility company, the president of the largest natural gas company in the world, a billionaire wheat speculator, a member, a pre, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, the member of the president's cabinet, a leader on Wall Street, the head of the greatest industry and land monopoly, the president of the Bank of International Settlement. And so amazing was this event that an historian 
decided he would follow these 10 guys for the next 25 years and see what happened to their lives. And at the end of this message, I'm going to share with you what happened to all 10. You are going to be stunned. Money is not evil. The Bible never says money is evil. The Bible says the love of money. It's the love of money that creates all kinds of evils. And it's the love of money that James is now going to deal with. In James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, James is dealing with two topics. He's dealing with the subject of money, and he's dealing with the subject of injustice because oftentimes the two go together. Oftentimes the wealthy perpetrates injustice upon other people's lives because they can't do one thing about it. And James is going to deal with that issue today. We're beginning a new series today entitled Rising Above Hard Times. You remember at the beginning of 2020, we started verse by verse going through the book of James together. And for the first six months, that's exactly what we did. All the way from James chapter 1 verse 1 to the end of James chapter 4 in two series. And what was shocking to all of us, amazing, is that it was obviously that God put this together because every message that we went through was dealing with what we were facing with all the COVID issues. It was absolutely amazing, the bolstering that this, these passages gave to us as we walked through them. Then when we got to July, we took a break. We dealt with several different issues, but now we're back. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be dealing with what James teaches us in James chapter 5, rising above hard times. And James is going to talk to us about the subject of justice and money today. In the New Testament times, there, were, there was no middle class. There were the rich and the poor. And the rich used the system to make themselves even more rich and the poor more poor. And that's the way it was in the New Testament days. And James comes against the injustices that money was bringing to the lives of individuals who were so poor. I got to tell you, this is one of the harshest, maybe the harshest passage in the entire New Testament and maybe the harshest passage in the entire Bible. So buckle your seats and here we go. James chapter five and begin in verse one. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages, you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not even opposing you. The passage is all about the rich. I have mentioned to you on several occasions, and I'm going to do it again today, that in reality, every single person that is listening to me is rich. 
We may not think that way. We may not see ourselves in that way, but the rest of the world sees us that way. Did you know that if you own a car, you are wealthier than two-thirds of the entire population of the world? Did you know that if you own a house and you're making payments, you don't own it straight out, but you own a house in America with American standards, you are in the top 5% of wealth in the entire world. Did you know that the average wage of the average person in America is 56 times greater than the average wage of the average person in the world? And that is why everybody's trying to get to America. This is why when people from any country you want to name look at Americans, they see us all as wealthy. Because in world standards, all of us are. I make this mention because when we go into this passage of Scripture, we need to be seeing ourselves, not just thinking about somebody else who's got so much more money than us. We need to, every one of us, see ourselves in this passage. And we need to ask ourselves some questions as we walk through the passage together. There's one more statement I want to make, and it's this. Just because a person is wealthy doesn't mean they're corrupt. Sometimes we look at people who have tons and tons of money and they must be corrupt, but just because a person has billions of dollars, it doesn't mean they're corrupt. There are many people who have millions of dollars and billions of dollars who understand the great privilege that they have and they are giving back to people and foundations that help people who are struggling and hurting and impoverished. So don't assume you know the heart of every person. So it's with that in mind. This passage of Scripture actually talks about four abuses of the wealthy against the innocent slash impoverished in the world. Four abuses. First, he says that God tells us it is wrong to hoard money for selfish reasons. James chapter 5 verse 3 says you have hoarded wealth in the last days. So what does it mean to hoard? Saving money and hoarding money are two different things. When you look in the scripture, there are many passages of scripture that talk about saving and says that a wise person saves, especially in the book of Proverbs. He talks over and over many times about a wise person saves money. It's a good thing to save money. It is a right thing to live not just even with your income, but below your income. So many Americans are living above their income and they're just going into more and more debt. But to live even with your income is better, but the better thing is to live below your income. If you can live below your income and you can stop buying things and begin to save, that is the better place. And the, the book of Proverbs talks about, about the need to save. So saving, the Bible says, is good. When you save because you know something is coming up ahead that you're going to need the money for, that is wise. When you are saving because you know that your children have got to go to college and you're saving money the best you can for college, that is a good thing. When you know that your kids are going to get married and it's going to cost so much money and you are saving money, that is a good thing. When you are saving money for your retirement, 
20, 30, 40 years before you retire, that is a good thing. Saving money is a good thing. So if saving's okay, what's the deal about hoarding? The difference between the two words is the motive for which you are doing it. A person is hoarding when that person is looking at that money, looking at that money, looking at that money, wanting to see that money grow. And when that person is, is bragging about the money and when that person is worshiping the money, it's the bottom line. It's the bottom line in your life. That becomes hoarding, and he says that hoarding is wrong. You hoarded wealth in the last days. Ephesians chapter 4 says that God gives to us. He meets our need, but not just our need. He meets even more than our need. And he intends for us to use some of that which he has given to us to help meet the needs of other people who are less fortunate, help to meet the needs of people who are impoverished. He is telling us, you and I need to have open eyes to see people that are in need and help meet that need. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27 says, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing. And I'll tell you why, because God sees. And when we take some of the money that God has given to us and we give it back to him and we help meet the need of somebody else who is less fortunate, God sees and he blesses you back because of it. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Giving to Living Water International that was birthed by this church. Giving to Second Mile Mission Center that was birthed by this church. Giving to Hilltop of Hope that was birthed by this church. Helping other people that are in need. God says, I don't want you to spend all this money on you. I don't want you to hoard all this money. I want you to use some of this money to meet the need of somebody else. James is saying when we hoard our money, God sees Second of all, God says it is wrong to acquire wealth by cheating others. Listen to what he, how he puts it in James chapter 5, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Crying out to who? The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. How we get our money is just as important to God in what we do with it. Dishonest money comes from stealing. It comes from ripping people off. It comes through not paying our debts. It comes through cheating other people on taxes. It comes by wasting my employer's time. It comes through abusing employees financially. 18 years ago, Kathy and I came to Sugar Creek and we moved into, uh, bought a house that did not have gutters. And so I called uh, three gutter companies and I had them come out and give me bids. And I chose the gutter company that I thought would do the best job for the best price. And it was a, the guy that came out on the, on the business and he gave me his price. Now, once I selected him, I was trying to get a discount. So I was negotiating with him. And you know what he did? He said, I, I will give you a discount. I will give you X amount of money. But he said, when you pay me, I do not want you to make your check out to my company. He owned the company. I don't want you to make a check out to my company. I want you to make it out to me personally. Well, I said, that's fine. I'll be glad to do that. But between that moment and when it actually took place, 
I was feeling very badly about this. I was feeling a deep sense of conviction about it, and I didn't understand why. And I asked, oh, what, what is this? What am I missing here? And I came to realize this guy wanted me to pay him and not his company because he wanted to avoid the taxes. So I called him, and I asked him, are you wanting me to write you out a check because you're wanting to avoid taxes? He said, yeah. And I said, then I got to tell you, I will pay you the original bid. He said, why? And I said, because I'm a Christ follower. And I, I'm not going to cheat the government. You see, I felt that even though I know the government will waste most of it, that that's not my liability. My responsibility is to be honest. James is saying, being honest, not cheating somebody else, not paying when you don't pay what you owe, you're cheating somebody else. And it's wrong before God. In the New Testament, people did not get a job for a year with a company or a month with a company or a week with a company. What they did is they got a job for the day. And these guys that would go into the marketplace in a little town that they were living in and some guy that had a field that was a wealthy guy, he would come in and he would pay and pick out different people to be workers and he would pay them. And when he paid them, it was just for the day. They'd go out in the field, they would work hard, they would do their best. And at the end of the day, for some of them, he said, I didn't like the way you work. I'm not paying you anything. But they worked hard. They did right. But he was cheating them and there was nothing they could do about it. There were no labor unions. There were no laws that protected them. And there wasn't one thing they could do. And James is saying that is exactly what is happening. And behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. Every single one of us, every one of us need to step back and look at our lives. Am I cheating somebody? Am I doing wrong with how I am making my money, how I am paying out my money? Am I doing wrong? You hire somebody to renovate your kitchen and you agree on a price and they renovate your kitchen and you nitpick it to death and you say, I'm not going to pay you for that renovation. You see, that example is a real example because I was talking to a guy three months ago and it is exactly what happened to him. And the woman said, I am not paying you what I agreed to pay you. I don't like the work you did. It took him two years to finally get that money and uh, he threatened the lawsuit and finally she gave the money. And that is exactly what James is talking about here. If we cheat somebody else, God sees. There's a third thing he says. God says it's wrong when we spend our money only with ourselves in mind. It is not wrong to make money and to buy things you need and buy food and clothes and cars and television sets and whatever. It's not wrong to do that. 
Uh, that is why we go to work. That's why we do it. We are taking care of our family and meeting our needs. It's not wrong to buy a new car, a new house, or furniture, or other things. It's not wrong to do that. What is wrong is when we spend all of our money just on ourselves. One of the greatest temptations of life is to spend our money just on ourselves. And this is what James is saying in James chapter 5, verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. There is a difference between a window and a mirror. And you're saying this is very obvious, but both of them are glass. And both of them start out the same. A window, you can look, you can see through it and you can see other people outside your house and cars that go by. You can see others. But if you take that piece of glass and you put a thin layer of silver on the glass, it becomes reflective and now all you can see is you. And the point is simply this. All it takes to stop seeing others and see yourself is just a little bit of silver and it changes who you are. God tells us we have a responsibility to care for others. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. When we are not helping others, when everything goes for ourselves, James is telling us in this passage, God sees. We're wrong, and God Sees. Here's the fourth thing he says. God says that it is wrong to use our money to buy negative influence. James chapter 5 verse 6. You have condemned and murdered innocent men. And they weren't even opposing you. How in the world could they condemn and murder innocent people and get away with it? Because they had paid off judges. They paid off politicians. And they knew that no matter what happened, it would always be ruled in their favor because they had bought that influence. But James says, God sees. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, but pastor, that's how life works in the real world. But I'm gonna tell you in the real world, God sees. And God says to us, either it's gonna be in the here and now or the hereafter, but I see and I'm going to deal with this in your life. You look at the four things that James has said in this passage and it is the overarching principle of injustice. And God says Christ followers are to be people of justice. And why? Why is justice to matter so much to us? Because our God is a just God. He has said to us, I want you to be like me. And God is a just God. Listen to what he says in Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your, he's talking about God, of your throne. Righteousness and justice, love and faithfulness go before you. In Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, it's God speaking, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I, I delight, declares the Lord." righteousness and justice. You see, in both of these passages, those two words went together side by side of each other. 
Did you know that 125 times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, not the Bible, just the Old Testament, 125 times it talks about the justice of God. And one-third of those references include righteousness right next to justice. Why? The truth is both righteousness and justice in the Hebrew language comes from the same root word. And what it is saying is, is that when you do the right thing, when you do what you know God would do, you are acting justly in the eyes of God. If you define justice the way the culture defines justice, you're going to be wrong a whole lot of the time. But if you take the Word of God, Christ followers who get their morals from the Word of God will always align themselves with the righteousness of God. It was in the 1850s that churches in the North... In the 1850s, the churches in the north and Christians and pastors stood up and preached against slavery. Week after week dealt with the issue of slavery, that slavery was wrong. And over the course of the 1950s, that whole decade, it changed the attitude of America. Why? Because most of America were Christ followers. And they were hearing what God's word said about slavery, about how to treat other people and the injustices, and their hearts turned and began to model the word of God. And that is the end result became the abolition of slavery. It was in the 1960s, 100 years later, in the 1960s, that churches and pastors in the North and the South White churches and black churches began to talk about the Jim Crow laws and began to talk about what was wrong in America and how black people were being treated in America and the injustices that turned the tide in America with the civil rights movement. When the civil rights movement began and pastors began to talk about this is right, we have been treating people wrong, it turned the tide in America. You won't read that in any of your history books. But what turned the tide in America were the churches. Why? Because part of the heritage of being a Christ follower is treating people right. It is being just and being kind. Righteousness, justice is who we are to be. So what is justice then? Justice is to treat every person with integrity and fairness. It is to defend the innocent and prohibit the oppression of those who especially cannot defend themselves. God wants justice for every person with no exceptions. So no matter who they are, rich or poor, young or old, famous or unknown, justice is to be for every person. And when you read about justice in the Old Testament, you will read constantly God identifying four groups. You'll read it over and over and over. You become, you get your radar up when the word justice is being used and we are being challenged to be just and you will read these four groups, widows, orphans, the poor, and the foreigner in the land. You will read over and over again, widows and orphans, the poor, and the foreigner in the land. I emphasize the last one and here's what I want to say to you. I'm not trying to make a political statement here about the foreigner in the land. I am not making a political statement. 
about whether a person is a legal or illegal immigrant. Every country has the right to establish laws and hold people accountable to those laws. But for a Christ follower, I'm not the government, for a Christ follower, God has told us that we are to be loving and kind and treat justly and righteously every human being. When COVID began to hit, Kathy and I had already built a friendship with a family who are Hispanic. The parents could not speak English. The two daughters who were in, in grade school as we began that relationship and now are teenagers speak fluent English. We didn't build a deep friendship because they couldn't speak English. We can't speak Spanish, but at least we, we talked a little bit. And when COVID hit, Kathy and I felt so convicted in our hearts. We've got to help this family. I began hiring him for odd jobs I didn't even need done. So he could get, make money because he, they were struggling. Every single week we went shopping for them. We bought food for the family every single week. We gave them food every week. We, get, we, we did odd, had them do odd jobs. Both of them are hard workers. I mean, they're good people, good people hard workers, and every single week we kept trying to think of ways in which we could keep their sense of honor and still make sure that they had enough money to make ends meet. And we did that all the way from March until the end of the summer, and at the end of the summer, it was obvious they were doing okay, they were doing better. And we asked them, and they said, we're doing great and we stopped giving because they didn't need it. Now, were they legal immigrants or illegal immigrants? I don't have the slightest idea. But here's what I do know. They're human beings, and they were in need, and God expects us to care for each other, to treat each other with fairness and integrity. Proverbs chapter 31 verse nine says this, open your mouth, judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. In other words, we're not just to give, we're to open our mouths and defend the rights of those who are unable to defend themselves. In Micah chapter six, verse six and seven, Micah says, what does God expect from me? Does God want more, more sacrifices? Does God want me to be more religious? And then he answers the question in verse eight, in Micah chapter six, verse eight, God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the, record, the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Who do you know? Who in your life has no one to defend them? Who in your life is being mistreated? Who in your life are you to act justly with and you are to love mercy with and you are to love to walk humbly with your God? Who is it God is using this message to touch your heart about? Ten men met in 1923 
at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Ten of the wealthiest people in the entire world. What happened to them? Well, according to the story that followed their life, the president of the steel company died bankrupt, and he lived his last five years on borrowed money. The president of the National City Bank retired a lonely and miserable recluse. The president of the utility company died a fugitive from justice. He was bankrupt in a foreign country. The president of a large natural gas company died bankrupt. The president of the New York Stock Exchange spent most of his last years of his life in prison. The presidential cabinet member was pardoned from prison so that he could die at home. The wealthy wheat speculator died bankrupt. The Wall Street leader died of suicide. The head of the monopoly of land and industry died of suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlement died of suicide. Money didn't save any of them. The truth is, God says to all of us, I see, I see, and I will bless you or I will discipline you on the basis of your integrity, on the basis of your character, of how you make your money and how you spend your money. God sees. The key to success in our life is not money. The key to success in our life is integrity and character and obedience to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. It is harsh. It is difficult. And the truth is we are all rich. You have given us more than we deserve. You've given us more than we need. And we thank you for the blessings that you have given upon us. And now, oh God, we ask, would you move in our heart and correct things in our life that are wrong in how we're treating other people, of how we're not coming to the rescue of people that we should? Would you speak to our hearts? Convict us when we're wrong. And Father, for all of those that are watching online that do not know Christ as Savior, are in one of these worship centers, three worship centers that are listening to this message, your word, who do not know Jesus as Savior, may this be the day of salvation. May be this be the moment that we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Move in hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.